Welcome to the Bill Barnwell Show. I am Bill Barnwell. Today, we have a lot of news to discuss from Monday. Around 4 p.m., I was a little worried. I felt like we didn't have a lot of stuff to discuss that hadn't been covered about the weekend games. Thankfully, the NFL came through and decided to hire a bunch of people uh, as we record Monday evening here. Joining me to talk about some of that news, including whatever breaks as we record the show this evening, is someone I, I respect, someone who does great work for several places, most recently for the 33rd team. The excellent Dan Pizzuta joins me. Dan, how are you, sir? I'm uh, doing very well. Uh, thank you for having me. I'm, I'm very excited to be here. Awesome. Well, thankfully, I, I was just going to turn the show over to you and just be like, hey, break down these games because you do such a good job of breaking stuff down. But we have so much news to discuss that we don't even have to talk about the, the Saturday and Sunday games. We have coaching hires, coaching firings, some even a free agent signing, actually, strangely. But let's start with the most recent news we got about 15 minutes before we recorded is the we saw the head coaching carousel come to a stop very briefly and it wasn't the name i expected because i I, i've kind of felt like the the carousel has been waiting for bill belichick and and jim harbaugh to make decisions and i've sort of felt like the coaching you know choices were going to come after that but we did not see that happen we saw the tennessee titans go out and hire brian callahan the offensive coordinator of the Cincinnati Bengals to take over as their head coach. So, Dan, what do you know about Brian Callahan? And what do you think about the potential fit for what's happening in Tennessee? Yeah, it's interesting because I guess not as much as we know about some of the other candidates that you know you had been discussing. Mm -hmm. And you know, obviously so much so that he's not even the play caller for the Bengals. Yes. But it's Interesting in a way, like I never want to get too far out ahead and proclaim like what we do and don't know about what these guys can be, especially as first time yes. head coaches. Mm -hmm. uh, but I, it looks like he's, you know, a very respected guy around the league. He's been a bunch of different places, which is always good, I think. Yeah. Um, and it's one of those things where I think I think more highly of him now than maybe I would have after one of those, you know, peak burrow seasons really mm -hmm. because i think over the past two years with last year a little bit and you know this past year with burrow going down i think cincinnati really kind of figured some things out on offense mm -hmm. after not really making any changes and kind of being a little static in what they were doing they kind mm -hmm. of figured some things out changed up what that offense really looked like meshed some kind of schematic things together um so i think like if that's something that i'm looking for in a head coach like, i think he kind of proved that a little bit this year so i think i'd be a little bit higher on thinking about him as a, a potential head coach who can kind of solve those problems than i would have been maybe you know two or three years ago yeah I, really interesting to see how good that offense was with jake browning once he took over for burrow and Obviously, it helps that they have Jamar Chase, but they didn't have T. Higgins for most of the year, or they had a limited T. Higgins for a significant portion of the year. They didn't have Burrow, or they had a limited Burrow. The offensive line is fine, but it's not like they're dominating people up front, you know, on a week-to-week -week basis. So it did feel like they had to get creative, and they were still pretty productive on offense down the stretch in December. And like you said, I think that's a really positive sign for Callahan's uh, 
you know, for, for what it means for Callahan's future. If he's not just, hey, I happen to be adjacent to Joe Burrow for several years. What's interesting to me about this hire as well is, you know, with Brent Carthen, sort of power struggle might be the wrong way to put it, but Brent Carthen winning the hearts and minds of, of Titans ownership as they, you know, start a retooling, if not a rebuild, given their free agents, given how they fall in the past couple of years. It seemed natural to link him to some former, maybe current 49ers assistants because he came from San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And he really goes sort of out of the box here. It's not like this is someone who I believe Ryan Carthen has a ton of experience with in the past. So I, I was I, I kind of always figured, you know, I looked at Bobby Slowick and I was like, well, maybe this is the logical landing spot for him if he ends up being a head coach. Don't know if he will be in this cycle. We'll find out. But it, it does sort of seem like a, you know, a, a pairing that I was not expecting coming into this sort of coaching carousel. Yeah, th- absolutely. It's definitely, I think one of the interesting things with the Titans is they can kind of be as blank of a space as they really yes. want to uh, coming into this next season. They have about, about $70 million in projected cap space, a couple key free agents, really only mm. Will Levis is the quarterback on the roster. So this can be really whatever they want it to be. So uh, I'm I'm interested in what that is going to look like. I think one of the key things with Brian Callahan is if Bill Callahan is going to be coming over as the offensive mm-hmm. line coach, that mm-hmm. is uh, definitely a big boost to any offense. Uh, and there's the easy connection there. And I, I think that could really just kind of set some things up uh, really well, setting up an offense if that's what they do. Yeah, Browns sort of retooling their offensive staff this offseason. They fired some people. I think they're either, it's not a fennel if it's official yet, but they are reports where they were hiring Tommy Rees, the Alabama OC, to take over as their tight ends coach. The one guy they did not get rid of, and this was very distinct, was Bill Callahan, who is an excellent, uh, many, many would say the best offensive line coach in all of football. So that would be intriguing. I wonder if the Browns, he would be able to go if he was a coordinator, I guess, if he was given the coordinator opportunity. I don't, it'd be intriguing to see how how hard the Browns fight the idea of losing Callahan if he wants to go somewhere else. Yeah, that's true. Then, yeah, But if he is the offensive coordinator, then you don't have an offensive coordinator who would be calling plays, right? right. So that would it an interesting kind of little dynamic there. They'll, I guess they'll have to figure out if if that move's uh, going to be made. But yeah, with, with Callahan, it's definitely just an interesting name to come out. Like you said, there were so many known names here. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's going to kind of leave an interesting name out of the picture, I think. Uh, we don't know yes. who that's going to be, but, you know, is Mike McDonald going to come back to right. Baltimore for another year? Like, how insane would that be if they're just the musical chairs lined up that way? Right. You said Bobby Slowick might be out. He could probably could use one more year as, mm-hmm. you know, someone who needs to figure some things out. But I think there is going to be, we have this big class. There's still a Mike Vrabel out there who was like, oh, by yes. the Titans, we have a, a lot of good names still out there. Uh, so I think some of these guys who were kind of penciled in for some of these head coaching uh, jobs that might be, uh, you know, coming back as coordinators. And I think that makes everything more interesting for the off season. Yeah. And I wonder if with someone like Vrabel, I think he's the perfect example of this. Most off seasons to me, Mike Vrabel would be the best guy available in terms of his resume, in terms of his youth, in terms of, you know, his program building ability, it doesn't really feel that way this offseason because you have Bill Belichick and Jim Harbaugh and right. you have, you know, multiple 
Hall of Fame caliber coaches, which Mike Vrabel could be one day, but is not yet. If you're someone like Vrabel, and there's a lot of jobs available, so, you know, it's not like he's not going to have any options, but do you almost take a year off and sort of wait a year and say, okay, next year I'm going to be the top candidate. Maybe the Ohio State job opens up. Maybe that's, you know, an opportunity he wants to consider. Maybe, um, you know, he's the best candidate for the Cowboys job if that opens up next year or the Eagles job if that opens up or, you know, whatever else opens up next year. I, I almost wonder if it's for someone like that, it's better to say, okay, I'm actually going to take this year off. I'll be back next year and I'll be the top candidate, you know, when that opportunity arises. Yeah, I certainly think that's a possibility, especially when you look at what openings are are in place right now. If he's, you know, it seems like Washington's probably more of a Ben Johnson. You know, you have Atlanta yeah. and LA that kind of seem that's a Bill Belichick Harbaugh. So mm-hmm. that leaves Seattle. Um, it's yeah, yeah, it's it's real interesting. So yeah, maybe he is a guy who can, you know, take a step back figure some things out uh you know don't want to say take the mike mccarthy route and hang out at at pff for a little bit um but yeah you could sit back kind of get a better view of the league and and come back a little more refreshed i think and and that might be the the best spot instead of you know taking a job just to take it do you do you think that anyone else will successfully pull off the mike mccarthy where you you know, spend a year at PFF and then you say, oh, I've watched every play. And then you come back and then in your first press conference say, actually, no, I didn't do any of that. I was just joking. Like, can anyone pull off that kind of grift again? That's, that's a very special McCarthy grift to even think, (laughs) to even think of it really. Like, I'm not sure anyone else has the capacity to really just kind of lay that plan. So it's impressive. I respect it. I respect the hustle. It is. Um, yeah, it's it's been a really fascinating cycle so far, and and we'll find out what happens, you know, in the the days to come. We're here, you know, uh, Dan Pitcher, the quarterbacks coach of Cincinnati, has gotten some OC opportunities or OC interviews at the very least elsewhere. It looks like, you know, he would probably be the person who gets promoted in Cincinnati. Of course, Zach Taylor is the play caller and the the head guy there, so I don't think things will change too much. But um, certainly, it feels like this is now the the Zach the Zach Taylor tree, I guess, is sprouting. Uh, in terms of opportunities for coaches and that staff. So Callahan goes to Tennessee. An OC hire that I found interesting was Shane Waldron going to the Chicago Bears. So the former Seattle Seahawks offensive coordinator, um, given an opportunity to interview elsewhere after Pete Carroll was quasi-fired. Waldron leaves the Seahawks, former McVeigh assistant, a guy who, frankly, I thought did a good job getting the most out of Geno Smith these past couple seasons. Mm-hmm. Dan, what do you think of Shane Waldron's work, and does it hint at anything about what the Bears are going to do next? I don't think it hints at anything specifically. I, it's not the the Greg Roman who they brought in. I think that would have <laughs> very clearly tipped off well, one way that the Bears would have leaned, but I, I think one of the good things is it, I, he does feel adaptable to to some of the things. Um, you know, when you're kind of looking at some of the the structure that they had, uh, you know, using kind of your best players, they had a very good passing offense with Geno Smith throwing to Metcalf and, and Lockett. Then you add in JSN this year. I think they by the end of the year they figured out a good way to do it. Just an example, Seattle. I, I think 
uh, we follow a lot of Seahawks fans uh, on yes. Twitter who every time they would run a screen uh, over the past you know 10 <laughs> years would probably cry out uh, on Twitter. This past year, they were pretty good at it because JSN, very good at screens. So that's just like kind of a, a little thing that they've they kind of figured out. So I, I think he's going to be adaptable in a way that uh, whoever that quarterback is going to be, uh, it, there's probably going to be some kind of system fit uh, for him. So uh, I'm pretty ec- excited about this hire. I think it's it's a really good uh, job for what the Bears uh, were looking for and kind of the, the place they put themselves in. I wasn't as down on keeping Matt Eberflus as mm-hmm. you know some other people were because um, he was a very good defensive coach. Yeah. Um, the 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 improvement from year one to year two and like this is that was very different from you know the quote-unquote lame duck years from John Fox and Matt Mm -hmm. Nagy, where those teams were not good the year before uh, they were fired when they got that extra year. So I think this is a little different situation. I think you have probably the best case scenario in a, in a offensive coordinator that you could have had. Um, And with some of that offensive talent there, I think DJ Moore was great. I think he would have been on my, you know, hypothetical second team all pro. Um, Mm -hmm. I think they're, they're figuring some things out. It it took a while uh, for this offense, uh, but I think this is uh, a hire that can, speed that up a little bit yeah certainly if they were not going to fire Eberflus, and so they were going to have to set their sights on guys who were not going to get head coaching interest you know like a ben johnson like a bobby slowick in my opinion um you know someone who was going to be available to hire as an oc paul Aldrin was one of the best options out there um in terms of you know, that offense is, it's inconsistent. And I think that was maybe the one thing that would come to mind is like, yeah. maybe that would worry you. It's just, they didn't always have answers. They, they'd go, you know, it's always hard to separate the, the players from the scheme, but they would go quarters where it looked like they were unstoppable. And then the next quarter, they would really struggle. But I think the fact that they had those quarters where they looked unstoppable with the guy in Geno Smith, who was not regarded as a, a starting caliber quarterback before getting the opportunity in Seattle last year, even though they have exciting personnel, I think it tells you, you know, Walter was able to mold that offense into something that, you know, played to Geno Smith's accuracy, gave him the opportunity to make, to make smart decisions with the football, um, you know, played down the sort of things that Geno Smith struggled with, namely interceptions earlier in his career. So I, I, I'm excited to see what it means. And I agree with you, I think, in that I don't think it tells us what the Bears are going to do because by all accounts, you know, Justin Fields is a very different kind of player from Geno Smith. But if Shane Waldron likes, you know, likes likes Justin Fields and thinks Justin Fields can be, you know, a, a, a dynamic downfield thrower, which I, I still think he can, hey, you can make that work in this offense. You can make um, Caleb Williams work in, in pretty much any offense. You can make Drake May work in any offense. So I'm, I, I certainly think that that opportunity to work with one of these quarterbacks appealed or should have appealed to offensive coordinator candidates. But I found it really interesting. We were talking about this a little bit on around the horn today before the show, Um, you know, so interesting that they brought in such a wide range of candidates for this opportunity, right? Like they brought in Cliff Kingsbury, they brought in Greg Roman, like those guys basically don't play the same sport. And yet the bears brought them both in for interviews. So, do you think the, the range of people they interviewed, does that make you think that they were just trying to talk to as many people as possible to kind of comb ideas, get opinions on Justin Fields? Like, like what if you're a team 
and you're going to bring in that sort of wide of a swath of potential coordinators for this opportunity. What does that tell you about where they are and what they're thinking? If I'm taking a glass half full look at it, it's that I think they do want to get as many kind of uh, opinions and ideas mm. in that room because they really need to get this higher right. Yes. Uh, yes. And that's that's kind of, I think, what it is. So might as well talk to anyone we can possibly talk to uh, because mm. this is probably the most important uh, hire for the Bears for the next, you know, 10 or so years. I think we kind of saw when they hired Eberflus to begin with, the offensive coordinator hire was kind of the most important one. And, you know, it didn't really stick. And so that put them in the place they are now, even though Eberflus for, you know, what he was from year one to year two, quite successful, but what that offensive coordinator is going to be and having the full control of what that offense is. And with the number one pick coming up, this is, you know, outside of head coach, and maybe we can argue over some of the head coach positions um, in the NFL right now is one of the most important hires in the league. So I think this was a Bears team that knew that and just kind of wanted to talk to anyone they could uh, to make sure they they got it right. Yeah, and, and they land somewhere in the middle. I mean, Walter, I don't think is going to be you know, the, the sort of extreme with Liv Kingsbury where maybe they have three run plays installed in their playbook and um, not going to be a great moment where he has three pass plays installed in his playbook and maybe a more central, uh, I'm, I'm being facetious, please don't tweet me and say that the the Bears, the Bears, uh, Greg Roman has more than three plays in his playbook, I know. Um, you know, a more centrist approach perhaps and fascinating opportunity. We'll see what happens with the Bears in the weeks to come. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there is no competition. And right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number 8, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a Jets Pizza location near you. Again, try Jets Signature 8 Corner Pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's number 8, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The Jags hire Ryan Nielsen. A very similar situation to Shane Waldron where the head coach gets fired uh, I think the defensive coordinator here, Ryan Nielsen, was thought pretty highly of after leaving the Saints. He goes to the Falcons. He has a year as a D.C. The thought did really good work. Falcons, I believe, were 12th in the NFL in points per possession allowed without, you know, a great pass rusher. Um, had to manufacture a lot of pressure with their scheme. Generally, I thought did a pretty good job. Ryan Nielsen, sort of in a lame duck status after Arthur Smith gets fired, takes uh, interviews elsewhere leaves for the Jags who ton of first round picks, but they have struggled to turn all that draft capital and all that investment into consistent defensive play. So 
Dan, what do you think about Ryan Nielsen? Can he get the most out of all of these Jags first rounders? Yeah, I think so. And I think you kind of hit on what he was working with in Atlanta, uh, which it, it wasn't a lot. Uh, he said not a lot of pass rushes. Calais Campbell had the most pressures uh, of Falcons <laughs> last year. Love Calais Campbell. I hope he plays forever. Um, he yes. should probably not in 2023 be your leading pressure uh, getter. <laughs> so uh, the fact that they were able to do that, they had a higher sack rate than the Jaguars. Um, and considering wow. that was... Uh, fact is is kind of wild uh you know there's there's some split in you know how well atlanta kind of did you know they were 10th in epa per play but 24th in dvoa i think that's because they were really good at run defense dvoa doesn't factor that in quite as much as just a straight up epa per play did but overall like you said i think there's a lot of good that was in the scheme there that i think fits with jacksonville uh, a lot better than it did with some of the the players with atlanta i think uh you know, you have a Luakun who's going to be in the middle of that defense, going to help out that, that run defense. Uh, just a guy that makes the tackle on like almost every play. Uh, it's much better than some of the, the the linebackers he was working with there. Um, I'm interested if if they can bring Josh Allen back, which I think they should. Maybe it's a mm-hmm. you know a franchise tag situation, but that's easily uh, the best pass rusher he he would have worked with. Um, mm-hmm. And even Trayvon Walker, who you know been up and down with the pass rush, still probably would have been far and away the best pass rusher on the Falcons yes. uh, this past year. Uh, and I think you look, they're they're going to run like he wanted to run a little more man coverage. I think that could potentially work with um, you know some of the the Jags. Uh, defensive backs. I like Tyson Campbell a lot, even though he was you know a little up and down uh, this year. Um, but yeah, I, I think this is about as, as well, kind of like we said with Walter. I think this is probably as good of a hire uh, that the Jags could have made uh, in this spot. Yeah, and and this kind of this is a dangerous comparison to make because you know they they were the best maybe the best defense in football this year i think they were the best defense in football this year but this kind of reminds me a little of the browns from last year where you have a a team where on paper they should be good there's a lot of players who you're excited about they have flashes where they're good but doesn't work they maybe they have one great pass rusher miles garrett of course being that guy for the browns but they just don't get enough out of players who look exciting on paper and then you bring in jim schwartz everyone looks so much better they fly around the ball they they're flexible they change the way they play they're the most impressive defensive football and they take the biggest improvement on that side of the ball for the jags like the talent is there it's not like they, they're missing a key piece maybe you want an interior pass rusher maybe maybe that would be the one thing you'd look for but they have you know 27 and a half sacks coming back on the edge with two players who are 26 and 23 Campbell was hurt for a chunk of the year. I think he was never really healthy for for part of the year, but a guy who was a Pro Bowl caliber cornerback, you know, as a 22-year-old in 2022, um, you know, you have pieces that I think are, are exciting and who could be playmakers. And, you know, you have speed. You know, Louis Kahn, I think, is, you know, he was a Pro Bowl caliber player the first half of the year. Uh, he's going to get to everything. Like, he's going to make a million tackles for you. Um there's there's a lot to be excited about, but I think you need that coach who's going to make those young players play better. And if Nielsen's that guy, and he very well could be, I mean, he had six new starters for the Falcons on defense, and they meshed together pretty quickly and played well, you know, very early in the season to 
that's that's a really exciting opportunity. So uh, like you said, I, I thought one of the best opportunities or best options available among the coaches who were on the market on the defensive side of the ball this offseason. A coach who is now available and not really a big surprise he was going to be available after what happened in December, but Sean Desai fired by the Eagles, I believe during the first quarter of the Chiefs uh, Bills game is when they really when the Eagles leaked the news, which not an accident. I, I would suspect that they got that out there. Uh, we also saw Matt Patricia. Uh, the reports that Matt Patricia is no not under contract with the Eagles and wants to be a defensive coordinator elsewhere. The Eagles interviewed Ron Rivera, the former, I believe, former Eagles staffer and. Uh, former, of course, Commanders and Panthers head coach. Dan, do you think, I'll start with this. Do you think that what happened at the end of the season for the Eagles where they fired Desai, promote Patricia, and the defense maybe gets worse? Do you think that's any comfort for teams who might want to hire Desai? Or do you think it's just sort of a lost cause and so no one's going to judge them based on what happened in December because the Eagles defense was such a mess already? Yeah, that's interesting. I I liked what Desai did in his year with the Bears. I, I thought that was one of those places where he did a little more than the talent that was available. And, sure. you know, going back, I don't think he was the biggest problem with what ever was going on with the Eagles defense. And I think we kind of saw that with what Patricia was doing. I mean, they were 30th in EPA per play and in, in points per drive with Desai and then got worse uh, by both of those metrics after uh, Patricia took over. So yes. it's, it's tough. I I'd probably would not say Desai is going to be in demand as a defensive coordinator, um, sure. but I would not stop that from bringing him on my staff. If I want to have some of those, you know, Fangio principles and kind of want to figure some of those things out, although those kinds of assistants might not be as hot of hires uh, as they yes. might've been a, a couple of years ago. So I think we're seeing offenses now are, are figuring out how to exploit that. Um, so yeah, I, I think the, I, just, I think the Eagles have a lot more to fix uh, than who their defensive coordinator and play caller uh, was over the past season. Well, that's not, that's too nuanced of an answer. Come on. You have to just hire a DC and that will solve all your problems. No, you're right. Of course. Um, and, and I think it's going to be very interesting to see not just who they hire, but what that person's resume and background is because very clearly, you know, over the past few seasons, Nick Sirianni was comfortable with a Fangio-style defense. Jonathan Gannon was there, and then they go out, and uh, when he leaves, they they hire Sean Desai from outside the organization, who, again, is a Fangio, not disciple, but someone who comes from that scheme, from that tree, and coach that style of defense. And <sighs> Eagles fans are going to be mad at me, but I'm just being honest. It still feels like the Eagles want someone who will run Jim Johnson's defense. Like they want Steve Spagnuolo. They want Sean McDermott. They want someone who is going to blitz a ton. They want, you know, they want Darn Martindale, basically different style of, of coach, but still the same. We're going to blitz a ton. That's going to be our philosophy. Now, if that doesn't work, they'll complain about that guy too. But I sort of wonder if Nick Sirianni, and we'll see if he has the ability to make this decision, if he's going to go out 
and get another Fangio style coach thinking that's the, the scheme that's the, the best meta for us now or that's what we want to run or that's that's the you know the pieces we've been going out to grab in the last few drafts and in free agency thinking that's the kind of defense we were going to run or if they just go in the opposite direction hire someone who's going to blitz a ton I guess Patricia sort of was that guy at the times in Detroit playing a ton of man coverage but maybe a Martindale maybe someone like that where they are going more towards this sort of defense that Eagles fans have wanted them to run for so long. And that may tell us what sort of power Sirianni has, may tell us what they think about where the league is going. Uh, You know, I'll ask you, Dan, what kind of defense, what kind of coordinator do you think the Eagles end up going for when things are said and done? Yeah, that's, I think it's going to also tell us a lot of what the Eagles currently think about their personnel. Yes. Uh, because I, when you go back to you know, the Super Bowl season with Jonathan Gannon, I think one of the the knocks on Gannon, at least from the outside, was he wasn't doing a lot because the offense, or the defensive talent was so good everywhere. Uh, you had two of the best corners in the league. You went about nine deep uh, for a pass rusher. Um, and just all of that kind of took care of itself. And I think we kind of see a little bit of that kind of in the Fangio systems that work outside of Fangio. Um, and then they kind of thought that's what was going to be the case this year. And just almost all of those players dropped off. So there was no longer that talent there that doesn't really need to be schemed up. Um, you look at, you know, uh, the corners were either hurt or ineffective. Uh, this is a team that doesn't have anything uh, of invested in the spine of the defense yes. and the linebacker and safety. And that absolutely showed up throughout the season uh, at, at all points. Uh, the pass rush was not quite as good after, you know, like a historic sack rate um, on a real pretty good pressure rate. They took it, like an average pressure rate this year and had a below average sack rate. So there was just massive swings uh, on a lot of pieces that they thought were going to be really some of the best in the league, which they were the year before. Mm-hmm. It's interesting with a you know a, a wink type of a person because I'm not totally sure how well that fits their personnel either. Right. Uh, if you're going to be you know you're built so much on getting pressure from those guys on the defensive line, mm-hmm. um, I don't know if you're going to trust Bradbury and Slay now uh, you know in their 30s uh, to be holding up in man coverage right. uh, as often as you know a wink would make them do. But I'm not totally sure if, uh, you know, another kind of Fangio white box, especially with, you know, what they have uh, up the middle uh, right now, that that doesn't seem to work either. So they're they're in a real, a weird spot, which I did not answer your question at all. But I think that's just <laughs> kind of what the Eagles need to to really do some you know, kind of self-scouting a little bit and, and some self-reflection on kind of what this personnel is that we all thought was going to be really good. Uh, but just that that wasn't the case this year. Is this personnel going to be good again? Uh, or do they really have to think about moving a, a lot of pieces and, and scheming it up a little more than they did? Yeah, what I found so interesting about, about um, Martindale with the Giants is they also didn't have the Don Martindale-friendly personnel. Like, like They invested so much in their defensive line. They invested so much in Kayvon Thibodeau and Dexter Lawrence and Leonard Williams before he got traded. Um, even as Cesar Gelari was a second round pick, like they had pieces that would make me think, okay, they can win with four up front. They don't have to blitz a ton. And they, they did not have, and I guess they drafted Deontay Banks, which helps a little bit, but they they did not have the cornerbacks to really hold up well 
one-on-one -on -one and man coverage. So when I see Martindale leaving, I'm like, oh, well, that kind of makes sense for the Giants. Like they should probably be a, you know, a rush with our, our front and, and play coverage team. But with the Eagles, you're absolutely right. It makes no sense in terms of what they have, unless they're going to make major changes this offseason to build a, a Martindale-style offense. But, you know, teams don't always do things that are rational after what happened to the Eagles at the end of this season. Yeah, and I think when you're kind of looking at, you know, you're going to have to figure out a new offensive coordinator, it looks like, a new defensive coordinator. Yeah. So this is just a, a very interesting spot for the Eagles in kind of just really figuring out what they are right now uh, and, and what they want to be because there's a lot of aging guys on this roster. So it's not something where you're going to easily be able to make some changes on the fly, mm -hmm. which I, I maybe does put them in a corner of where they need to go uh, with this roster. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, it, it is interesting. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, a year ago, <laughs> they were being lauded as like the, the geniuses of the league. And not to say that they're, you know, that they're idiots now because they're not. I, I always I always find it funny about Howie Roseman that I have heard Eagles fans now for, gosh, over a decade. I, I've heard them regard him as like a genius who can make no mistakes and as a guy who they need to fire tomorrow to solve the problems with their team. And he's not as smart as he looks when things are perfect and he's not as bad as he looks when things are are, are struggling so that's that's an easy thing for me to say maybe not the easiest thing to say if you're a you know if you're a eagles diehard but they have a lot to do in the weeks to come as do in a, in a very different way as we finish up here the carolina panthers who also i think put out a lot of feelers a lot of interviews for what they were going to do at general manager and then they decided to just stay in house. They promote former linebacker Dan Morgan to the GM role. Dan, this has not exactly been the most successful franchise over the past few seasons. I hope I'm not revealing anything to you here, but the Panthers have struggled. They've made some decisions that we will look back on and say they were not the best idea. And Dan Morgan has not necessarily been the person making every one of those decisions, but he's been the assistant general manager there for several years now uh, since the uh, 2021 season. Does it make sense to you that the Panthers pretty much have been a mess for the entirety of Dan Morgan's time there and still promoted him to the general manager role? Yeah, it's... I think the saving grace for Morgan, I think when I'm looking at it, is he has you know come from other places. He was yes, the Bills sure. director of player personnel uh, for uh, the years before he came over to Carolina. Yes. So I it think that succeeded there certainly helps. The Carolina thing <laughs> is is weird. I. I don't know if I would have been excited about anyone taking over for that job because I think it's a very hard job. Um, and you know, for what you have to build and I think just kind of the other things looming over that job, maybe it's a positive that Dan Morgan has been in that building so he knows maybe what that entails uh, from a day-to-day -day of having certain people oversee what you are doing. Um, 
I think I might be concerned if there was someone who came in to the, that building with absolutely no expectation of what working for a particular owner might be. Um, so there are certainly some questionable things about kind of moving on from who they moved on from, but keeping the band together in a sense, because even before he was promoted, he was still in the meetings uh, for mm -hmm. interviews for head coaches, uh, as was uh, Adrian Wilson, who's currently the VP of player personnel, who was also someone who was highly regarded um, when he was working with the Cardinals. So this this just feels like we always talk about this kind of what the coaching staff was coming in this year. A lot of people who are highly regarded who have come in from other places, uh, and then it just kind of seems like it's almost an impossible job to succeed. So Morgan has some experience in the building. I mm -hmm. I don't know. It's it just feels like it, it's it's going to be a tough job no matter who did it. Yeah, and and you look at Morgan being there. It doesn't mean he co-signed every single move. For all we know, he was telling David Tepper, hey, we need to draft CJ Stryer with the first overall pick. We need to not trade up at nine. No, whatever he might have said, David Tepper has access to that as we don't. So I'm willing to believe that Dan Morgan is not necessarily, you know, responsible for every single failure or every single mistake the Panthers have made over the past couple of years. But I also wonder if it's just a thing where you know, in an organization that was hit by a lot of leaks over the past year, where there was a lot of, by all accounts, by all reporting, I've seen infighting, you know, where it was sort of a, uh, a lot of people who wanted to get their viewpoints across, who were influencing things, who were, you know, creating more chaos. You're bringing in like an old school bad linebacker who David Tepper already knows. Like, I think maybe it hints at, we've made all these changes we've brought in these people from outside it hasn't worked we needed to make a change but maybe this is our way of making a change and still having some stability and having a, a person and a personality that i already know because frankly david tepper has been bad at hiring people I, I don't think that is a a secret or anything i'm saying that's inappropriate but maybe this is his way of saying we needed to make a change but this was the least amount of change we could make that still seemed like something significant and I think one of the other things, it, as bad as David Tepper has been at hiring people, I'm not sure if there's anything he enjoys more than firing people who aren't doing a good job. <laughs> yes. So, and then I think that extends to other things. There's a practice facility uh, in the middle of uh, the Carolinas yes. that's undone. That uh, I guess we can use that as as a metaphor. Uh, but <laughs> I think maybe it's it's potentially if. Dan Morgan was part of this group uh, and was not fired as part of it that was doing a poor job. That could potentially be um, a positive uh, going forward uh, because I think if he, you know, had been probably maybe the voice in either, you know, trading for Sam Darnold or, you know, drafting Young over Shroud, uh, he'd probably be out too. So maybe that yes. is uh, a good thing for, for Morgan that he might've been a voice of reason uh, in that room. Yeah, and, and certainly feels like there are, you know, it, it could go well. It, it can't, I, hard to imagine it going much worse, frankly, than it did during the Federer era. So the bar's pretty low. And Den Morgan will have a couple years now with a new coach who presumably he's going to be involved with the hiring process to figure out uh, who ends up in Carolina. 
presumably they'll be given time to rebuild a roster that is not exactly gone the way that David Tepper and the Panthers organization would have hoped. Uh, Dan, that's, that's, we hit a ton of news and I think that's probably all, all we're going to do, but uh, please tell people where they can check out your work and check out more of your thoughts on the NFL. You can, uh, I'm on Twitter at uh, Dan Pizzuto. I'm at the other places with uh, zero content there, but you can you know follow along in case that is a thing that happens <laughs> eventually. Um, those those usernames are taken. Uh, and you can uh, find my work at the 33rd team uh, right now. And I'm also doing some work for uh, the DVOA page on the FTN uh, fantasy site. So I've uh, been doing a little bit of stuff for the playoffs there. Uh, most of my work right now at the 33rd team. Check that out. Dan, thank you so much. Bill, thank you. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, thanks so much to Dan Pizzuta of 3013 for hopping on today. Hope you guys enjoy today's show. If you wanted a breakdown of the divisional round, I wrote about 18 plays that helped decide those games on ESPN+. Also talked about all of those games on the Dominique Foxworth show Sunday evening, which you can find in a lot of places, I believe, including ESPN's YouTube feed. Also on Around the Horn this afternoon talked about monday afternoon i should say as we record this monday evening monday afternoon talked about the uh various games on around the horn you can check all that stuff out and of course we'll have more audio later this week a second episode probably talking about some non-coaching hires although it depends if bill belichick and jim harbuck had hired probably gonna talk about that so still a lot of stuff on and off the field to come as we have three games left in the NFL season. Hope you guys enjoyed this weekend's games. Hope we can entertain you over the next few weeks. Thanks so much for listening.